All righty then. We are going to hit it as soon as the music is over. It's time for the True Wealth Radio Show intro on this, the greatest Tuesday you've had all week. Joining me in studio today is my main man, Matt Dixon. And we are talking today about the PSYOP, right? Psychological operation for investors. Man. Investor PSYOP. I'm going to get out my lounge chair and the pillow and you're just... (laughs) You're going to walk me through this. No, none of the above. We are going to go through... Well, it's a psychology session. Today, we're going to be talking about the mindset of investing and and some of the common mistakes and things that we see with investors. And why do we want to talk about this? Because... The the news, like it's so weird. We just put a piece oh. out for our clients about this, right? About how, why does the economic data seem to look good or, good on paper in some ways, other ways not so much, and yet we feel like everything's so broken. So correct me if I'm wrong, but from where I sit, I look at these news articles and it feels like a different narrative every other week, right? Like this week, it's oh, you know, the we've had six great days in the market. But, you know, you go back a week or two and it's like, oh, interest rates. And so you never know what you're going to get when you open up the news. Well, I have a pretty good idea what we're going to get. So like local news versus elsewhere. Okay. Okay. So what are you going to get locally? The stuff that's going on. Mm -hmm. You know why? Because that's what's relevant to this area. Yeah, that actually sells, mm-hmm. right? The stuff. Like, we actually want to know what's going on around here. I want to hear about the happenings. Yeah, the it marching band to took third place. We want to know yes, about it. Yes, how's the football team doing, right? right? Uh, you know, what? what's the river level for fishermen, right? Well, and just before we got on air, what were they talking about? Winco opened up. Everyone's excited exactly. about a new this grocery is, store. This yeah. is relevant to your world because it's right here. But the farther away from right here we get, the more that your attention becomes divided, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you get somebody's attention? Well, you, you wave, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what if a wave doesn't work? Well, then you wave bigger. What if that doesn't work? You scream. I don't know. Blow something up. Scream at the top of your <laughs> you lungs. Know, you start making a lot of a, a, a lot of activity to get the mm-hmm. attention, right? Right. And so... That's where you get into the news cycles of basically, you know, the, the, it's the rubber neck kind of stuff. What is going to get you to turn and stare and gawk? And it's usually violence and sex, mm-hmm. right? That's the stuff. Right. Okay. And we're relatively simple people in that respect. It tends to work. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you pick a few pet issues that are kind of controversial and you start building an audience around who aligns with the position you take. Sure. Okay. And so there you go. There's your recipe for national news, which is what? It is renting your eyeballs to advertisers. Yep. And I think that's where a lot of people get freaked out, especially in this field that we work in, where you're looking at the stock market. Someone hears a headline article, horrible day in the markets. The markets dropped 200 points. And then you look at it on a percentage basis and you're like, wait a minute. That was like a quarter of a percent or whatever. Right. And then you're like, that's not a huge move. That's just clickbait. You just wanted me to click and read your article. Well, and you also hear words like, you know, Markets collapse. Oh yeah, and and you go well. What's a collapse, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, well, they collapsed by seven tenths of a percent. And you go, (laughs) dude, it's Tuesday, right? (laughs) Right. 
that's just sometimes that happens on Tuesday. You know, and, and we don't say when the markets go up by, you know, so you fall by 0.7%, you probably need to come back up by 075 to get back to where you started, right? Mm-hmm. But you're like, oh, you know, markets launch 0.75%. Like, you don't get the same kind of upside headlines. And you know why? Because we are cognitively biased toward negative news. It's a survival mechanism, by the way, right? Oh, right. that thing that was painful? Avoid doing that again. Block that out of my memory. No, you you block the pain part out, but you don't block the lesson, right? Mm-hmm. We we are way more sensitive to negative news than positive news. It's way true. Way more. And then like biologically wired for that kind of stuff. So if that's the case, then what do you think you're going to see more of? And what are you going to remember? Right? They've they've played this game on the internet. It's not super successful to say, you know, fluffy bunnies flood parade, right? And people are like, oh, fun. Next. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you say like rabid bunnies attack school bus of children and all of a sudden it's like, oh, my gosh, I got to <laughs> know more. I'm sharing this one. <laughs> yeah. And so it's and, and there have been some uh, groups that have been su- more successful at sort of clickbaiting around positive stuff. But most of it's clickbaiting around negative stuff. Mm-hmm. Or it's back, you know, it's back to the sex and violence thing, right? That so big old emotional roller coaster. Well, and it's just it's the the big drivers for people, right? Is that you know seek pleasure, avoid pain. But again, that that pain index is really high, so that tends to sell pretty well, and it tends to color how investors view stuff too. So today, I want to talk more about the, uh, when we say psyop, right? I mean, yeah, okay, that's that's clickbaity too, right? Sure. But it's this idea that the psychology of investing and where some investors trip up in this process and where some investors seem to do really well. Let's let's kind of we're going to use this example a bunch today. Okay, Warren Buffett. Okay, All right. What uh, Warren Buffett is one of, if not the best investor of all time. Mm -hmm. But what has Warren Buffett also done remarkably well? I think he's done a good job of avoiding popularity contests, and he's kind of stuck to this value mindset of like, well, does what I'm buying have value, and can I justify it? And yeah. if so, let's go for it. And my favorite thing, because I, I set Matt up for this. I didn't tell him I was going to do this either, right? So Warren Buffett is also old. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to get into the nuance of like, but he started investing when he was like 10, literally. I actually read on that. It was I think he started with some gumball machines. Yeah, he was pinball machines. He would he would like rebuild and then he was selling pinball machines and mm-hmm. he used that money to start buying his first shares of investments. Yeah. And even and, before the pinball machine, he he started it by getting quarters or pennies out of a gumball machine and then he graduated to putting pinball machines in the, you know, little delis and places where he could yeah, get food. He's, he's always sort of yeah. hustled for this and I think he bought a piece of property or something. So I yeah. don't know all of it, but what I can tell you is that he and others, but primarily he and Charlie Munger, built mm-hmm. Berkshire Hathaway, which is now a giant company sitting on billions of dollars in available cash right now. Yeah. And been an incredibly successful investor. They're both comfortably into their 90s. Yeah. Right? So when you have an 80-year time horizon to allow markets to compound and compound and compound, and you don't make 
significant mistakes at inopportune times. And, and Warren Buffett has been very good, and I should credit Charlie Munger too, but they've been very good about remaining disciplined. Mm -hmm. Then you have an opportunity to create massive wealth. Right. Time is your friend when it comes to building wealth. Yeah. I mean, Warren Buffett has said like he could have bought the S&P 500 and just kept investing in it and still done incredibly well. Been oh, a billionaire. yeah. You know, mm -hmm. Many times over doing that, not and, doing what he right. did. And, you know, and they do some unique things, right? Like don't go out and try to copy Warren Buffett per se, because Berkshire Hathaway gets to buy whole companies sometimes. Mm -hmm. Right. So they're not investing the way that you and I are investing buying stocks per se. Doesn't mean they don't buy stock, but they go in and buy controlling stakes in companies sometimes, like whole companies. Right? Buys insurance companies. The whole company. Not like, oh well, you know, I became a shareholder of Right. Yeah, you know. And so when they go buy Apple, they buy, you know, three percent of Apple. Like, wait a second. That's a multi trillion dollar company. So yeah, well, they go put a hundred billion dollars into Apple. They actually move the needle. It's mind blowing to me how many people try and just copy whatever he's doing. They look at his holdings, you know, his big holdings. Oh, I'm just going to do the same thing. And then some of the times, you know, that might work. But I also well, look at it and I'm like, are you chasing? Well, I think you have to be because typically speaking, the trades that Berkshire Hathaway makes, they, they get reported, I believe, on what they call the 10Q. So they're yeah. quarterly reporting. So you're trading after him. Right, not and probably him. not getting the same pricing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, so it doesn't mean that you can't potentially do okay with that. Right. But um, the the point here about using Warren Buffett are, as our example, though, is like one of the things he did was he just – he's lasted a really long time, and he's continued to deploy consistency the entire time. Mm -hmm. Right? And some of the way that he's been consistent is have enough – slush on the side that he was never forced to liquidate things at an inopportune time. Mm -hmm. okay? Having so, a little bit of cash yeah. reserve for a yeah. good moment to buy something. He's made mistakes, by the way. Warren Buffett's not infallible. There have been investment losses that were significant. Mm -hmm. And he's had to like take the, the L on a position and deal with that. So he's not infallible. But right? he, yeah. But I think you brought up a really good point that investors should catch right there. He was liquid enough to be able to absorb the bad times, and he was also liquid enough to be able to see a really good opportunity and be like, well, I, you know, I'm confident in this. I'm going to move forward. And I think you know, that applies to things outside of the market too, right? Like, oh, at, Investing doesn't just have no. – we talk about the markets a lot because it's kind of a, like our jam, right? Mm -hmm. We help our customers with that a lot. But investing is more than that. Right. It's not just – well, I'll, I'll give you an example. I I have a boat, right? I have a drift boat, and I love it. It's great. I wasn't in the market for another boat, but I had cash on the side, and someone posted something that was like less than half of its value, and I bought it as an investment because I had the cash available, and if I want to go, you know, if I decide to sell it, I can sell it for twice what I paid for it. It was just a good opportunity, and I had money on the side. And so, apparently a place to keep a boat. Yeah, that too. So that does factor <laughs> in, right? So, so the circumstances that presented themselves in right. such a way that you could potentially buy something and turn around and resell it at exactly. a profit, which yep. is an investment. It is. Okay. Yeah. Now, what we need to unpack a little bit is what's the time horizon 
of said investment? No, that's right? a good question. That's an interesting one because it does it does have a real impact here. It, and yeah, your rate of return is affected based your on your rate of return yeah. is affected by time, but also the way you analyze an investment may be affected by time. Mm. Speaking of time, it is time. Not for, already. That's yeah, not possible. It is. It blew by, but it's time we got to take no, our is. first break. So I, I want you guys to, to stick around, though. When we come back, we're going to talk about how time becomes relevant in the psychology of investing. This okay. and more. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, hey, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. This is your host, Dave Littlejohn, in studio with me today. Matt Dixon. And uh, we were talking about the psychology of investing. If you want to get caught up, this is one where the first segment had plenty already in there to unpack. So grab the podcast. It'll be available tomorrow at our webpage at littlejohnfs.com. And uh, you can get caught up on this one. But uh, I think the, the, the biggie we're talking about today is how the it's sort of the mental game of investing and how that can... Uh, monkey with folks. Mind over market. Mind over market. I like it. Yeah. That's probably end up being the podcast title. Right? Oh, yeah. Let's roll with that. Yeah, we could do that. Uh, so anyway, we talked a little bit about how in the, in the first segment, just, just some of the concepts like uh, talked a little bit about Warren Buffett, for example, huge advantage of time and that uh, a lot of investors, time can be a real issue. And so we need to explore that a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Matt, uh, when you're looking at an investment, you talked about your boat. Yeah, right? bought so, a second boat. Bought a second as boat. A, mainly as an investment. Okay, so how long are you willing to sit on this boat? Because you know, you've yeah. tied up resources now. I have, so, yeah. Like, what is, kind of walk me through the mindset of what's going on here. Okay, well, first I plan to put a little bit of elbow grease into it because, you know, I put, you know, $100, $200 into the boat it'll sell for probably an extra 1000 to 1500 bucks. So okay. a little bit of upfront um, money and time, a lot better return. So there's that. That's one piece. Second piece being it does a few things that my boat doesn't do. It's better for really small rivers. It's a little bit more nimble. Okay. So I'll probably get a little bit of use out of it. And... As the paint's starting to ding and things are maybe needing, I'm going to sell my other boat now and keep this one because it does stuff I like. <laughs> not quite, not quite. Um, but I'll use it for a little bit, and then when the time comes, go ahead and move on from it. But right now is not a great time to be a seller no. because of the fact that people are hurting. Inflation sucks right now. I will wait until people have more cash in their pocket, and there is this allure of more money on the table. Okay. So we're not going to ask you to disclose what you're into the boat or anything like that sure. on air. That's not the point. But what if you'll notice, this is I'm just going to point out to to our very intelligent listeners who've already figured this out, right? Mm -hmm. You actually didn't give a time frame. No. What you said was when it's right. Mhm. Mm okay. Now is that time frame 10 years from now? No, probably 5 to 6. Okay, so 5 to 6. And if you and here's the thing, you said you got this boat for what you believe about half price of what you could sell it for. Yeah, and when I sell it, I'll triple my money. Okay, so if you sell it in five years for three times what you paid for it, mm -hmm. so your annualized return on that is pretty good. Because here's the there's a, a cheat, sort of a hack, right? Where the rule of seventy two, how many years does it take to double? Mm -hmm. If you double your money in six years, you make about twelve percent. So right. if we divide 
72 by 5, right? That gives us like 14 something percent, right? Mm -hmm. So you're making like 14 and a half percent if you were to double. But if you doubled it again, right? Right. Your rate of return's actually fantastic. Yeah. Right. It's, you know, you're probably making, you know, compounding it in the, you know, mid 20% range. Right. So make 20% a year and get some use out of it along the way and make some memories. Right. Mm -hmm. So that would definitely pencil relative to other potential investments that you could have out there. Right. And you get some utility value to personally use it. Right. So yeah. you get some, some, some personal benefit. So, yeah, I think that that would qualify as a pretty good investment. And it does fit within the scope of what you do, mm -hmm. right? It, you're an outdoorsman. Right. Right? So well, you and like I, the stuff. And I, it sounds cocky or arrogant, but it's not. I, I would say I have some expertise in the area. I've done this yeah. 30 times, maybe more, maybe 40. So I've done it enough to know when it's a good deal. And I think that is relevant to listeners because you can't just go out and just willy-nilly throw money at things unless you know you know what you're doing yeah. this is like people that say i want to flip houses yeah like, and i'm like do you know how to do that do you know how like, to use a skill saw a bargain <laughs> and can you figure out if there's enough margin in the project right. that you can do this so yeah yeah i mean i had a friend recently say well, i'm gonna buy this business and i'm like okay well what does the business make and what is your overhead going to be? And, you know, you get into the details and I think the person quicker, quickly realized like, oh, my gosh, I hadn't thought of even half the things that's going to go into this. And I'm like, you should pump the brakes and talk to someone qualified that has owned a business before. Right. And knows the ropes and can tell you with confidence, you know, you might be OK here or oh, this is a horrible idea. Yeah. Even if it's because. The funny thing is it could be a great idea and you could still screw it up. Exactly. Right? So that's the reality of businesses. So that's where you get into the sort of consulting side of things, which is if you don't know, find somebody that knows more than you mm -hmm. and start picking their brain. Absolutely. Right? But back to the time horizon on this one, right? So what I, I want to use your – this boat's a fun example, right? Okay. So you kind of pin it as so more like five years. Now, five years, I would qualify that as long term enough. Sure. Right. I would agree. I consider that long term because if you had somebody that came along and offered you to triple your money tomorrow, I'd do it. Right. Yeah. You know, I need to say, well, you know what? It's just the I'm accelerating the return so much mm -hmm. that I'm willing to forgo the personal use because I can do something with that resource if I got it now. Absolutely. Okay. So. We're seeing now the use case here where Matt's got some expertise in an area, understands the value of what he was able to get, understands the value of what he thinks he can sell it for. There is some risk, right? There's some mm -hmm. risk that the market really goes sour. and It could uh, get stolen. Yep. I could sink it at the bottom of the river. Right. There, so, there's, yeah. so there's real risks associated with this. But, but nevertheless, there's a, a, an actual investment case to be made for what he's doing right and we have a time horizon associated so the risks become more understandable because mm -hmm. you've done them in advance and we know the time horizon we know the rate of return so it makes sense okay so one of the things i think people in the stock market i'm just kind of jumping maybe ahead of you on this right, one you're but probably going where i want to go so well, let's do this i think some people they get into an investment whether it's a boat whether it's stocks whatever it is real estate but they do it because they have this fear of missing out on something. And 
they they have some cash or they have some type of resource and they're like, well, I got to, you know, I got to get into something because I don't want to miss out on an opportunity. And they don't really fully break down, you know, is that the best avenue for me to take or is this a good investment? They're just scared to miss the boat. Yeah, there's some of that where I want to get into the IPO or this that, and the other. I remember a few years back when Dutch Brothers IPO'd and everybody mm -hmm. wanted in on it and it shot up in value a ton. Uh, it's since kind of collapsed from there. And so uh, th th this is not a commentary on whether it's good, bad, or otherwise, right. or is it a recommendation? It's just, this is what happened, right? It, it mm -hmm. debuted at $35 or something, shoots up to 80, and today it's trading at like 22. Yeah. Right, so there's an example of a wild ride where people really wanted in. They weren't necessarily investing though, they were sort of speculating that, well, it's gotta be great, right? Uh, and so, uh, sometimes I call this lemming mentality. I, I kind of liken it to, do you remember when Dogecoin was going crazy? Yeah. yeah. Like it was that kind of lemmings thing that you're talking about. Yeah. Everyone sees other people making money and then they're looking at this like, well, I got to jump on this train, yeah. but the trains already left the station. Well, and the wild thing is some people really did make money. Oh, they did. Right? Sure. There were people that were in on things like uh, various cryptocurrencies and this NFT thing which you know you think about like and some people year, are still making money ago, yeah that was a big conversation in fact 2000 what was it 17 we were having this conversation i think 2017 uh it's a while ago but i remember having conversations with people when bitcoin was at like 17,000 in 2017 and then it went up to like 70 something over the next year or two and then it sort of collapsed and it's i don't know where it is today somewhere in the mid 20s i think mm -hmm. mid to low 20s uh and so it's higher than it was in 2017, but the reality is there are plenty of ways that you could invest in probably the S&P 500 and still had a similar return over time. But if you were one of these people that got it for $2 a coin, okay, mm -hmm. then you hit a, p a point where it went you know, asymmetric or, and you're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, so we know the fear of missing out motivates people sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, what are some I other mean, things that kind of the, the lemming concept of the, yeah. hey, the whole herd is going. So we're just going to run with it. Where are we going? I don't know, but we're going there fast. Right. So uh, I think that's a biggie. That's, that's kind of just chasing returns. Yeah. You know, but here's, here's the thing chasing returns or fear of losses. This is the time that the, the timing conversation I want to encourage investors to think about. If you own a home, Mm -hmm. Okay. Really, if you own a lot of things, your boat's still a good example of this. If you could see the price of your house in real time, all the time running across a screen on a ticker tape, and what people would be willing to pay for your house, you'd go crazy. It'd probably drive you nuts. Yeah. Like because your house, though, it's it's great that you only see what it's worth when somebody makes an offer. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if the offer's not high enough, then you decide what it's worth by not accepting the offer. In the stock market, the last trade that took place, we assume that that trade represents the value of the entire company, right? We extrapolate the entire value of the company based on the last trade, or at least that's what we're sort of, that's what's implied because that's what the market's doing. Anytime you see a price to earnings ratio, anytime you see a price to sales, anytime you see a market capitalization, those are all based on the last trading price of that stock, or at least the last t snapshot when they had a trade and they froze time to calculate at that moment, mm -hmm. right? So we think about a company like Apple that's got you know tens, maybe hundreds of millions of shares outstanding. 
somebody buys one share of Apple at the end of the day and then the market closes, and that becomes the price of Apple until the next morning mm-hmm. when the market reopens. And if you're saying, well, what about after hours trading and so forth? Yeah, that's true. But as far as the exchanges are concerned, that was the last trade until it reopens the next day. So then we calculate like, oh, well, the value of Apple is as if every share traded at that price. Right. And that's crazy to think about because imagine how much like investor psychology and popularity contest goes into determining, you know, on any given month. Oh, you want to talk about crazy. I'm going to cliffhanger you because I will tell you there's a crazy thing that part of it makes total sense. But part of it is legitimately out to lunch for investors. Mm. You need to know which part is which. And I'm not going to tell you until after this break. Darn it. (laughs) Exactly. Stick around. This one, uh, it's, it's shockingly simple. And it's probably a facepalm when you hear it, but it is super important. So we'll be right back. I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. Some things are better off there. Ooh. <laughs> Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio today with Matt Dixon. Hey, Matt. Uh, yeah. I wanted to finish up on our last segment with one more thought. Right. I, I told our listeners we had the uh, it was you left them on a cliffhanger. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember how I phrased it, too, because it was something that investors really it's really important. And it's kind but of it's way more B1. simple. Yeah. yeah. And it's a timing issue. We were talking about Apple stock in the last trade of the day. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing about time in investing. OK. Right. Or investment time horizon. You got to understand that. We are not all playing the same game. Even if we're invested in the same stock, we're exactly. not necessarily playing the same game. Because there are some people that are buy and hold with Apple stock. There are some people that day trade Apple stock. There are some people that own Apple stock as collateral for options on Apple stock. Mm-hmm. And they're using sophisticated strategies of hedging around it. There are some people that are owning indexes that own Apple stock. Oh, there are some people that are shorting Apple stock. Right? right. So everybody has a different use case or a different investor theory that they are implementing. But it's all happening on the same stock at the same time. Right. It's important to understand this because if Matt has a time horizon of today to mm-hmm. flip a trade in Apple, and I have a time horizon of five years, right? We can have very different opinions about the value of Apple stock. Absolutely. Okay. And because of that, you can see the movement of the stock getting jockeyed around. And it really, some of this is that concept of uh, like the herd mentality, that lemon thing is like, okay, well, if you get enough people in the short term that start selling something and then some computers jump on board and they start selling it too, before you know it, you've got a real a real move on your hands. That was kind of interesting. I think about uh, a couple of years back, do you remember GameStop? So GameStop goes through this crazy scenario where there were more stocks shorted than existed Mm -hmm. and the market figured it out and a bunch of short-term people became buy and holders and they were buying up everything they could because as they bought the stock it drove the price higher and higher and higher and then people that had shorted the stock 
had to buy it. It was back. all the hedge and fund there was managers. Nothing to buy. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, institutional buyers got really Burned. cornered. And then, of course, it got worse because you know the exchange. It was well, and Robin Hood, Robin Hood like locked out yeah. the, the investors and not the institutions. It was a screw job, mm-hmm. right? It was a screw job. But that's a scenario where most of the trades aligned, mm-hmm. and so you didn't have a ton of people with different use cases. You kind of had two parties: the "Dear Lord, please get me out of this thing somehow," and the. We're going Hold to the moon, to baby. The moon. Diamond hands. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it was, it was wild to watch. Yeah. Right? And then it happened with AMC and, and a couple other stocks that people wondered if they could get. That a, was a just bunch the of year folks. of the meme stocks. Yeah. And it was a unique time. It was COVID. We had a lot of people that were at home trading and so forth. And a lot of people probably lost their shirts too. Oh, yeah. So. Because but, everyone thought they were a trader but, <laughs> during but that year. Trading is not like investing, time no. horizons are different. Nope. So when we talk about time in the market, how long can your trade last or how long before your trade becomes an investment? Right. And sometimes people get that confused because, I mean, I'm sure it's happened to you, too, where someone calls and they're like, hey, I want to hand you $100,000 and I'm going to you know, let you play with it for two years. And you're like, or sometimes even less, manage this money for a year. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and I will tell you flat out, I've had people say, well, we're going to try you for a year. And I just said, I don't think we should play this game. Nope. And they're like, what? what? So, don't get me wrong. I mean, like that's how we make a living. But if the goal is to make a horse chase where you're like, well, I'm going to take some money and you're going to take some money. And we're going to say who's going to do best. <laughs> and I look at this and go, so let me understand this. The only way that I get to keep your business is if I outperform what you do. You've just told me, on the one hand, I need to be a fiduciary and not take unnecessary risks. But on the other hand, the only way I keep your business is if I outperform you, which means I have to take risk. That's so a contradiction. Saying, I, if I guess right and the risks pay off, I get the job. If I guess wrong and they don't, I don't get the job. And I think to myself, this is really kind of an inappropriate structure here because mm-hmm. you're basically telling me two things at the same time. Don't take more risk than is fiduciarily appropriate, but you must take more risk. And, and go, that well, just that, can't exist. Yeah, that, that doesn't function right. And so I'd rather look somebody in the eye and go, I appreciate conceptually that you've thought of us, but I'm not willing to play a game where I, I must either get lucky to not harm you. Or go gambling. We're not here to gamble. Gambling. We're not I'm, here yeah, to gamble. I don't want to do that. No. So it's just, it's, I, I, I don't want to rep- risk our reputation and I don't want to risk your money. Mm-hmm. Right. Even if I think we could do it. Sure. It's right? just like, not worth not the, it. I mean, like I could think we could do it and we may be able to do it, but I'm not willing to do it. Right. Because that's not what our value proposition is. We're about appropriate risk adjusted returns, not swing for the fences and hope we get lucky. Mm hmm. Right. That's so, a really big difference that I think a lot of people need to hear and understand, because if you just chase the performance you will end up the lemming that runs yourself off the cliff yeah. oftentimes. And and the problem with performance is it's very asset class driven. I mean, even, mm-hmm. uh, I know it's it's kind of fun to pick on these a little bit, but this is the, there's been this growing danger within index funds, particularly S&P 500 as it's become more and more tech heavy, mm-hmm. right? And so as it's become more and more tech heavy and it's more and more driven by these super duper mega cap companies, you are having more and more concentration risk stack up inside of this index right if 20 percent of that index is tech 
how yeah. I mean, are and so I mean, it's funny because the beta is one because it's the index, and uh, it is diversified by the standard of like, well, it has a bunch of stocks in it, but by weighting and by sector, it's clearly biased in one area. Mm-hmm. And then when you say, well, but the sectors are reflective of the index, the index isn't yeah. reflective of the sectors. I go, okay, well, then as long as tech, which is like 50% of the index or something, mm-hmm. you know, fact check me later, but whatever, is like, well, as tech goes, so does the index. Mm-hmm. So if tech's having a good year, 2021, woohoo. Tech has a bad year, 2022, wah, wah. Yeah. I mean, wasn't it down over 20% in 2022? Yeah. Yeah. And so everyone. Well, in 2021, if we stripped away like the top 10 stocks, it was negative. Right. Right, and they were the super duper mega caps tech, mm-hmm. super duper mega tech. You kind of living and dying by the sword. It's like the it's like the football offense that only throws the ball. Yeah. It's like well, the funny <laughs> thing is, what drove the returns of the S and P five hundred was basically the biggest positions of the Nasdaq. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there you are. the Nasdaq outperformed it, wor- it. It looks great when it's working, but man, when it doesn't work, it hurts. That's and, why and, I get. That's why I kind of use yeah. the analogy of the football team that only throws the ball. Yeah, you. Ran up 600 yards in this game and won. Congratulations. But if the defense. Yeah. If, you're, if your quarterback <laughs> has an off day, you have a. Yeah, and you, you can't so run the your football. Your whole team has an off day. Yeah. Right. You get blown out. Anyway, the, yeah, the idea, though, of um, measuring the right time, it's also important because I think how we perceive risk looks different. Like if you're day trading, then your, your risk perception becomes much more speculative in nature. Typically. Yeah. And what does risk even mean at that point? Right. Like, well, if, yeah, I mean, because you're you're basically making these micro trades, typically trying mm-hmm. to, you know, game the adva- system, yeah. taking advantage of the intraday movement of a position and saying, well, if I can buy it for one hundred and two dollars and sell it for one hundred and two dollars and four cents and I can do that enough times, if you make four cents enough times on a big enough position, it will add up to something. What I find so funny in all of that is you're basically banking on the fact that you see an exploit or that the price is incorrectly priced well, the, 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 based on what gonna, yeah, is about in the scrum of the lemmings. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah really you're the, the smartest it's lemming the in the group. Scrum. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Can we make T-shirts? Now I really want a T-shirt. Just a bunch of lemming <laughs> scrum. Oh. So I'm retitling the show just so you know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's uh, the psychology of the lemming scrum. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so anyway. But yeah, it's, it, you know, and then Warren Buffett looks at this and goes, I am not playing this game. He just kind of says sits on his throne and watches as the lemmings do their thing. Oh, it's and like, because you know, he doesn't care. It's just like the house owner, right? You don't have to sell. Well, I so can... he could just say, well, I'm not going to sell today. The way I kind of envision his methodology is he's just kind of sitting there, and once all the lemmings run themselves off the cliff, he's like, well, it's a good time to buy. And the minute they start running, he's like, oh, I got to get out of the herd. Let me go sit on the sidelines. Well, it's funny. He's such a contrarian to lemming behavior. Exactly. And you can do that when you have a big war chest of cash. And what I remember is in like 1998 and 1999, I remember people saying, I think Warren Buffett's dried up and over the hill. Because he wasn't following the big tech right. push of the Back late 90s. Back when he was in his 60s and they're like, yeah, he's over the hill. He's lost you know, it. And now 20 years later and he's in his like late 80s or 90s, I'd, I should really look this up. 90s, now, I think, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's 90s. But so it's you know, 20 some odd years later and people are like, this guy. Yeah. Right? And you know he's he's still relevant to the conversation. And all he did in the in ninety eight nine is when he goes, 
I can't figure out how anybody's valuing this stuff. So he just said, oh, looks like a lemming scrum. Mm-hmm. Not his words, right? But <laughs> lemming scrum, never mind. Punt. <laughs> right? And then later on when he goes, oh, looks like a bunch of bloody lemmings. It's like, all right, I'm going to go buy it. Right? There's your British T-shirt right there. Bloody lemmings. I'll go invest. Right? Uh, there it is. <laughs> and now you know. Uh, someone get this man a sketch pad and a pencil. <laughs> Matt's all about making T-shirts for this stuff. I, I love at it. At some point, we're going to have a whole collection. They'll be worthless, but we'll think they're <laughs> Our main valuable. business strategy will no longer be investments it's simply like political selling, satire selling, on t-shirts yeah, investment satire off of our <laughs> radio show brilliant okay well look so uh speaking of not satire but let's do this we got to grab our last break when we're going to come back we're going to talk a little bit about uh confirmation bias and a lot more about how to build actual invest discipline into the process and not just you know a head case mm. but we gotta run we'll be right back this is dave little john and matt dixon and you're listening to true wealth on news radio 93.9 fm and 1240 all right gang welcome back to the home stretch of the true wealth radio show where today we are helping you our favorite listeners and those of you especially DIYers but really you know even our own clients anybody that's working with folks helping with kind of the getting the head game on for investing we're right? trying to prevent you from being a lemming in the scrub yeah in the, <laughs> the, the bloody lemming scrum yeah right? <laughs> so, stay out you know, warning warning the Here's the thing that I have observed with, uh, I'm going to use an, I've used this on the show before, but let me kind of bring it back. Uh, we talk about firefighters, okay? Firefighters are trained to run into a burning building and they know what to do or no, they know when to not run in. They know when they can. And the likelihood of them being successful at getting in and out and saving people's lives and structures and so forth is pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Where, a non-firefighter pulls the same thing and they go and die, mm-hmm. right? And maybe they get lucky, but most of the time, like that's a good way to die. What's the difference, right? Is the firefighter not afraid? Well, you're both human. You both got two legs and two arms, but the difference is they have experience and they've been there and they've trained for that moment. It's the training, yeah. right? Because the reality is that when you have a fight or flight event and you go into a dangerous spot, you're you're likely to make errors in judgment that can well, cost you and the firefighter knows what to look for he yeah. sees the big red flag like oh that post is on fire and i don't have much time left in this building and here's <laughs> the other part right the firefighter may be just as afraid as somebody else it's a dangerous situation but the training is what helps them survive right same okay? thing for the markets right like i yeah. I don't think you're going to stand up here and pretend like when the markets drop, you know, 20%, you're not like worried, right? Well, like, that's the thing, right? Is yeah. We all suffer the same feelings. Like, if I look around, if you were to ask me, like, how does it feel? Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel good. Right. Right. Uh, I just got back from South Carolina. I will tell you this to see gas prices at 279 a gallon and then to come back to Oregon and have them be closer to $4 a gallon. For this, you know, what is, I believe is the same gasoline. It's like, <laughs> wait a second here, right? But mm-hmm. it feels expensive. We just renewed our health insurance. It was for the family. Um, what a ridiculous amount of money to get effectively nothing, mm-hmm. right? It's actually pretty insulting, right? Yeah. Really, like this is just another tax. 
it's the healthcare tax because mm-hmm. you know some people pay for healthcare and other people don't, and so the people that pay for healthcare subsidize, and that's how that works. Um, so all of this to say, what? <laughs> right? I don't even know what my point is. I'm ranting about the health insurance thing. I guess I'm looking at for for. All... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I did it. Now we can laugh too. <laughs> I gotta remember where I was even going with the. I know. I was. I was waiting for it too. I was like, "Oh man, he's really gonna pull this together." Yeah, you know, no. he's, he's really not. I was gonna go back to. Uh, now I gotta. I gotta spool it back to where was I at? Well, <laughs> Matt was supposed to listen, and he didn't help me on this one. <laughs> I'm kidding, right? Though no, I just got got rolling on it. Um, you were talking about being kind of disciplined with your investments and not being the lemming. Well, we can yeah. If we roll it that far back to the beginning of the segment, yes. Uh, I guess that's where we're at. I guess I was looking at. Oh, I know. It was the the firefighter. Now I can bring it all back together. We talked about the firefighters. Yes. We talked about training. We did. Talked about how the world's messed up and how I feel it too. Right. Mm-hmm. I see life getting really expensive. Right. I see, um, like we're looking at the before the show starts. Uh, headline on Yahoo Finance that credit card debt. New record high of over a billion or over a trillion dollars. So consumer credit now over a trillion dollars. GDP is just over twenty six trillion. So we're looking at that. That's approaching four percent of GDP is unsecured consumer debt. Ooh. Right, and that's not that include, should make that's you not shiver. Including student loans or medical debt or anything else. That's just just the credit card credit debt. card debt. Not your home mortgage. Not, no mortgages, right? Yeah. So you look at that and what what I can tell you is like when somebody says, "Look, I mean the economic data, we still have decent jobs numbers and inflation looks like yeah. it's coming down and yeah, and I look at this and go, "But why does it feel so awful?" Mm-hmm. Right? Why do I look around and I see such rampant uh, rise in homelessness, uh, drug deaths, and uh, you know overdoses and so forth. You know why? Why do we see so many things that look so bad? Why our uh, education system? Yeah, yeah, like, and some of it's because that's what we see on the news, right? And so you sure. have this tendency because of the negative bias that we talked about at the beginning of the show to start to extrapolate that everything is bad, mm-hmm. right? And and it, because like oh well, if this is all I see. It must be everywhere. It's not statistically true, right? Like murder rates are way lower than 30 years ago. Like violence has de- declined in general. Like all that stuff is true. Um, you know, retail theft is up a bunch. Petty crime is up a bunch because we're no longer enforcing in certain areas to stop it. All of that feels terrible. And so the psychology of it the matters. average person, that, that, that group think does start to get baked into the pie. Mm-hmm. It's part of the lemming issue. And so right. that's where you start to see and you start to confirm a bias. It's like, well, it feels bad, so I believe it's bad. And the the tricky part is, like, does it become a self-fulfilling prophecy? Right. Like, do the markets go down because enough people really feel bad? I mean, yeah, you could put, you can even paint a more extreme picture. The markets could be doing wonderful. Companies could be making record earnings. Everything could be great in the markets. Business is doing awesome but if everyone was to discard that information and say the sky is falling the sky is falling and pull all their money out of their accounts and sell off all their stock what's it going to do to the share price yeah it 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 just doesn't have to reflect the reality of how the company's doing well in the lemming scrum Mm -hmm. right if you panic you become one of those trades that prints at whatever price is happening. Mm-hmm. So yep. therein lies the issue is that if you throw discipline out the window, uh, you get what you get. Right. 
And I think that's the, the real issue is, uh, so a few questions I think investors should ask themselves, okay? If you find yourself trying to decide if you should buy or sell something, pretend for a moment that if you already own it, you should ask yourself, would I buy it today? Mm-hmm. Right? If, if I don't, don't own it now, do I want to buy it? And if you are trying to figure out, so if you're trying to figure out if you should sell it, that's one of them. Would, you know, would I buy it today? And then the other is. Uh, do I want to own it long term? Well, how long? And then you mm-hmm. say, is there something else I would rather Is own there a instead? better opportunity? Okay. Because this is a hard one. Sometimes it is okay to sell things if the idea is to move it into something that's a better opportunity. But you do want to make sure it's a better opportunity, which goes back to that original question. Do I, if I don't own this, do I want to and do I think it's the right time? Right? So these are questions that are hard when you are in the game, right? I own this thing and I have to think, well, if I didn't own it, would my behavior be different? Because when I own it, I treat it differently. Mm. That's the issue. Right. And so these are some steps that you can take. And so I would encourage you. And the other is before you ever enter into a trade, decide what the rules of engagement are, because when people change the rules as they're playing, that's when the mistakes happen. Right. Okay. So since we are running on the end of time here and the music is playing, how do they reach us, Matt, to get more help? Why don't you give us a call? 541-375-0898. All right. And as always, uh, check out the website and everything else. But we got to run for now. So until next time, I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.